Coming up on today's show, Andrew Luck shocked the football world with his retirement. We talked to Joe's agent about what it's like when your all-pro client retires in its prime. Sound familiar, Joe? We explain how all this national media attention can only help the 2019 Cleveland Browns. And I tell you why I would take Tom Brady on my first team all-beer chug. Plus, Kyler Murray, Daniel Jones, and Brandon Whedon. All this and more on the Tomahawk Show. Welcome to another life-changing edition of the Tomahawk Show. Make sure you subscribe and rate five stars. Better yet, if you're already subscribed, unsubscribe and then resubscribe because that's how we break the Apple system and we make this the number one football podcast again. If you want to interact with the show. Yeah, I don't even know if that works. Hey, this is my open. I'm sorry. I was just saying, I think I might have misspoke last episode because I don't know if that actually worked. I don't know if we broke the chart. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> we did for sure. Okay. I, I checked and we were number one by at least 100 million okay. views and downloads. So we're, we're good to go. Uh, <laughs> but if you want to interact with the show, there's many ways you can do that. You can do that Twitter at Tomahawk Show, Instagram at Tomahawk Show, Reddit at Tomahawk Show, <laughs> Facebook, Tomahawk Facebook group, email Show at gmail.com, voicemail. Now this is the important one, 440, that's Cleveland, 628-1376. Love it. Hawkman, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. I'm good. I just noticed the last four numbers of our voicemail line are 1673 jumbled up. The numbers are there. They're not quite in the order, but 1376. So it's, I feel good. I feel good. You, crazy, crazy news week. You were good at word searches when you were growing up, weren't you? No, I was a, I was a beast at the word you, search game. You were a Sudoku guy for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Who would have thought that... In the midst of the most boring preseason football imaginable ever, we would have the biggest news story in NFL history, Dude, at least in the last nine months. I cannot wait to talk about that, which we are going to talk about. We got our 16 burning questions because 73 is too much. So we're going to get to that. Um, and we're going to answer all your questions that you guys have been hitting us with online. And also we have a special, a special treat today, special guest courtesy of the humblest co-host in all the land, Joe Thomas, his agent, Peter Schaefer, who made so much money off of Joe and other players because he's a genius and he's uh, a pioneer in leveraging Joe's kickback to hundreds and millions of billions of dollars. So we're going to have him today. But yeah, the Andrew Luck news, bro, when it broke, I thought it was fake. I got a legit thought. I got double checked Adam Schefter's Twitter account because I thought it was like one of those parody ones that looked just like Adam it. Adam Scheffner. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it was like, I'm like, is it missing an H or something? Because there's no way possible that he just announced that Andrew Luck is retiring. And I was sick this weekend too. So I was sick. I was feeling terrible. Then that news came and punched me in the gut just to double it up on me. I couldn't believe it. I told my wife, I go, hey, did you hear the news? Andrew Luck retired. And she didn't hit me with what? She goes, could you please say that again? (laughs) And I said it again and she goes, okay, you're lying. And I said, no, I'm serious, he retired. But that's why it's such amazing news and so shocking is because even when you hear it, you can't comprehend what you're hearing because a player in the prime of his career, just coming off of horrible rehab, he was the 
basically the comeback. He was the comeback player of the year yep. last year in the NFL. A lot of people had the Colts as potential Super Bowl champions this year. Mm. And all of that probably out the window now that their star Pro Bowl potential Hall of Fame quarterback is deciding to step down and retire from the game of football. I can't wait to see like what kind of documentaries are going to happen from this. Because I, I honestly, this is like the craziest sports news I've ever seen in football. You know, like 29 well, years old, a top 10 quarterback. You know, yes, he's had injury problems, but this is something I don't think anybody's seen coming. So after the initial state of shock that I was in, I started to process it a little more. And I started to empathize with him a little bit because I've been in that situation, man. You've been in that situation where it's like, dude, I don't know if I can do this. And I know fans, the fans booed him coming off the the the, the freaking field, which was terrible. And I, I get why a fan would be upset, especially like you said, because they had such high hopes. But like, I want to illustrate like what that decision, like what goes into that for the player. Like, it's not an easy thing. Fans that are viewing it as, oh, he quit or he walked away. That's not the easy road. Football is something that if you make it to the NFL, you've been doing 20 plus years. It is the biggest part of your life. I don't care. Even if you are ready to stop, the decision to let go is probably the hardest decision you ever have to make in life. So for Andrew Luck to have made that at the time he did, I can only imagine how excruciating that was for him and to have to, again, divorce the longest relationship of his life. I believe that all football players that have played long enough go through this decision process of should I continue playing? Mm-hmm. And, you, and you definitely question, what are the reasons that I'm continuing to play in the NFL? I went through it a few times in my career. Early on in your career, when you have those struggles that come up, you maybe don't love it. All of a sudden, it's not as much fun as it was when you were in college or high school because yeah. you're not the star that you were when maybe you were a huge star at your college. Um, maybe you deal with injury and, and the ostracization that you have to deal with when you're rehabbing away from your team. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's the losing. Like in Cleveland, towards the end of my career, I dealt with this a little bit. And I've, I've talked about this on the show before where I actually had to go sit down and I had a few therapy sessions with the team psychologist because when you, when you are dealing with as much losing as we dealt with in Cleveland, that's yep. a really mentally difficult and draining thing to deal with. But I think for the most part, the vast majority of pro football players that have put together a bunch of years, you have something that brings you back and says, no, I want to continue this in my career because of X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. For me, there was unfinished business. There was the, the desire to help my teammates to go out there, uh, do what I could to help those guys go to their second contract, to try to build a foundation in Cleveland for future success maybe. Um, and a, a lot of it, you kind of refine that love of the game. Uh, for me, I, I really dove into like the teaching and helping my other teammates, especially my offensive linemen, uh, learn the intricacies of the game. Um, and I'm sure for you, you probably dealt with some of those similar things, but for Andrew Luck, he wasn't able to find that reason that brought him back to playing in the NFL. And it's tough, man. I mean, you search, you, but the, the reality is if you do anything long enough, you're going to get sick of it. And especially a sport that literally beats down your body, especially um, in a situation like Andrew Luck where it was like four consecutive years he talked about it. It was injury, pain, rehab, injury, pain, rehab. And it was like this cycle. And you're like, well, what? At what expense am I continuing to do this? It's not money. 
obviously he has a ton of money. Obviously he has more money than he'll, he'll get to spend in his life, right? So I don't think it's a love of the game thing. I, I think it's just like at, at what cost am I continuing to do this? I mean, I remember last year when it was a Hal Mary situation, they took him out and put Jacoby Brissett in and it was like from the 50-yard line. And I, and I remember being on TV and I'm saying like, yo, this is alarming. This is a quarterback, last play of the game, Something that like this is a situation that quarterbacks dream about when they're kids and they're putting the backup quarterback in and trying to make it seem like it's no big deal. That is a big deal. Right. If your quarterback can't be in the game to throw the Hail Mary because he's not healthy enough, I don't care what kind of numbers he's putting up. It's an alarming situation. So to see where it's all come to and to see how it's all matured, it like it makes complete sense to me. A lot of people are talking right now in the national media about how they feel that this is a health related. And when they talk health related decision, they're talking about physical health of mm -hmm. your body. Okay. And that's kind of what Andrew talked about a little bit. But I'm actually thinking that this is more of a mind health issue, a mental health issue, because I look at being able to play in the NFL, it, it requires two things from a person. It requires the mind and mm -hmm. it requires the body. Yep. The body clearly has been banged up over the years, but it seems like he's kind of healthy. You know, he's got the leg thing going on right now, but I think that was a little bit of a mask for the fact that he wanted to retire. Mm -hmm. um, but he's already gone through that really long and grueling rehab for the shoulder. And so I think right now for him, his body is mostly healthy, and I don't think that was a big reason why he decided to retire. If I have to speculate, I'm going to say the mental health side of things is really what made him want to retire. He's a guy that always, I think, has struggled a little bit with accepting the fact that he is a star in the NFL. He's never fully grasped the identity of football player first and foremost. It's very clear and it's very well documented that off the field, he's got tons of other interests. He loves to read. He wants to travel. He's got a baby coming. He just got married. He's way more than just a football player. And so for him, I think he always struggled with the spotlight, the limelight, and the fact that everybody saw him as Andrew Luck, the football player. And he felt like he was more than just that. And if you look back at two guys that have recently retired in the last 20 years that retired way before many people thought they should have, Calvin Johnson mm -hmm. and Barry Sanders. Both of those guys had very similar personalities to Andrew Luck as far as they were very quiet in the media. They weren't loud and guys that wanted that spotlight on them all the time. Right. And I think a lot of that plays into the decision to retire maybe before your body gives up on you or before the vast majority of us think, they're old enough to retire or they're banged up enough to retire. And uh, I, I think the mental side of it is maybe underreported a little bit right now. And, and that's maybe a part of it that Andrew is not comfortable talking about right now. He's not really comfortable talking about the mental health and the, the stress and the anxiety that I'm sure he's been dealing with uh, as the star football player, but then also as the star football player that's trying to go through all these different rehab processes and, and deal with, the stress and the anxiety of being the quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts. No, I think you're exactly right, man. I mean, as football players, we're taught that we have to display courage at all time. So it's tough to come into a media um, press, press conference when you're literally one of the best quarterbacks in the world and say, hey, you know, my mind just isn't right for football anymore. Like no one can do that. I mean, I think the injuries always kind of give you an out. I feel like my situation was very similar. Like when I retired, it was my body was 
it was banged up as as much as you think it would be at 31 years old and, and 20 plus years of football but it was more of a, a mental state like it, it was just like i didn't want to do it anymore man it, it weighs on you the anxiety the you know trying to be perfect and put yourself in situations and like you said finding the motivation to just continue to fight and put yourself through that on a, on a recurring cycle, man, it's it's tough. It's funny because as, as Andrew Luck retired, everyone had comments, and obviously they're asking everybody in the football world, and they asked Tom Brady, and Tom Brady kind of threw me a shot. Not specifically mm. me at all, actually. But in my <laughs> mind, he, he had to, here's, here's Tom Brady's quote. He said, he had a great career. He was a great player. Everybody wishes they could be healthy all the time. It is a contact sport, and he certainly had his fair share of injuries, so guys retire at different times. Some at the end of seasons, and I've seen a lot of guys retire before the season gets going. And this is just one of those examples. I feel like that was directed at me. I feel like, you know, I'm one of the many guys that Tom Brady has seen retire right before the season. Um, mm-hmm. So in a Do little bit of ways. Do you think it was ways, a shot? I, I Do you think, think it was negative a shot. connotation? I, I, think, I think when Tom Brady said that, he was thinking specifically of my face. And he was like, yeah, there's a lot of losers <laughs> that can't hack it in New England. I mean, a lot of guys <laughs> retire early. He was looking at his dartboard with your face <laughs> on it, and he was chucking darts at it. Oh, if only Andrew Hawkins would have stuck it out, we could have won the Super Bowl. Oh, wait. Right. Now, Hawk, I think one guy that would really be beneficial to talk to in this situation is the guy that represented Barry when Barry Sanders decided to step away from the game a little bit early, just like Andrew Luck has. So why don't we give my agent Peter Schaefer a call who represented Barry Sanders in 1999 when he stepped away from the game right before training camp. Love it. Let's dial him up. Hello? Peter, how you doing? Yes. Joe Thomas, Andrew Hawkins right here. Straight on the Tomahawk podcast line. Welcome to the Tomahawk Show. Well, it's an honor and a privilege. I'm very humbled. <laughs> You're just in a, another long line of humble people that are on the Tomahawk <laughs> Show. Let me tell you, this is the humblest show of all podcasts. So welcome to the show. Well, I just hope that I can destroy the ratings of your podcast like I've done other similar podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're that shouldn't be too hard because they're pretty low off the bat. Well, hey, let, let's get right into it. Um, we love you very much, and we would have had you on today no matter what, but the true reason that put us over the top, why we needed to talk to Peter Schaefer, super agent, was because you were representing Barry Sanders when he decided to shock the world and retire, I think in 1999, and a lot of people have compared Andrew Luck walking away from the NFL this year to the retirement that Barry Sanders did. Um, do you remember the conversation that you guys had when Barry said he thinks he's ready to retire? Yeah, I don't think, Joe, you know, it's sort of similar to what you went through two years ago. I don't think it was one conversation. I, you know, it was after the Baltimore game, um, his last year in 98, and he mentioned that he might have lost the passion and he tried at his locker and, you know, sort of, you know, continued to just flow from that for the entire offseason. And I remember having conversations with him by saying, you know, if you don't like a movie after 10 minutes, you just don't walk out. Let's see what the whole movie looks like. Let's see how you feel. Both of you guys obviously retired. And, you know, after your last game, probably a number of years, you're like, I'm done with this. I'm done with this. And then all of a sudden the fires, you know, start to stoke again in February. And all of a sudden it turns spring and the flowers bloom. And all of a sudden people start saying, maybe I should play football again. And so you never want to make that sort of decision when you're, 
you know, in the throes of pain and, and, and the days are short in the winter. So ultimately for Barry, do you think it was more of a physical toll of the game or do you think it was more of a mental thing that his, at that point, his heart was just no longer in it because physically the shock around the world was the fact that he was still unequivocally the best running back in the national football league. Well, understand this. He was a season, a Barry Sanders season, not a regular running back season away from the all time rushing record. So like 1400 yards. Mm. And so there was a, you know, and, and which could have meant uh, a lot of economic uh, windfall for him. I don't think that when you retire from the National Football League, it's any one thing. I think it is a culmination. And, you know, Barry sort of said it best, his desire not to play football outweighed his desire to play football. And I think that it, you know, when you look at the scales of justice and he kept going back and forth, back and forth, I think that, you know, at the end of the day in July, he just said, I still don't feel that the way, the, the scales of justice are leaning towards football. I think another thing, though, Hawk, and – we're going to see this more with not just great players that have left early. You know, people, it's amazing. People talk, forget to talk about Joe Thomas retiring early. Uh, he did retire early. Most yeah. Tackles. Yeah. Nobody mentions him in the, you know, yesterday when they talk about Jim Brown and um, Gronk. And, a, lot, a lot of meat on that bone, Peter. I, I don't understand why you're letting him off the hook. Got him right <laughs> not, there. not a lot of cartilage <laughs> left in the bone, but plenty of meat. Let me tell you, I've been eating good this summer. <laughs> There's not there's not a lot, of, a lot of meat left on the bone to begin with. If you've seen his most recent pictures, either. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when you had to have a conversation with the Lions, what what was what was that like? Because I mean, even for Andrew Luck, right? There's the, you know, him going back and forth with the Colts, and I'm and I'm sure from their perspective, they're going to do anything they can to try to get this guy to continue playing. This is a guy they built a franchise around, and that's why everyone keeps pointing to Barry because it was a very very similar situation where it's like, yo, Barry, you are our, our only hope. So when you had to have that conversation with the Lions saying like, look, man, he's made his mind up. It's time to move on. What was that like? Well, first of all, times were different back then. You know, both you guys were still in like nursery school probably, <laughs> but there were no, there were no off seasons, right? You had a mini camp, you had voluntary running at the facility and Barry had not shown up to anything. Mm. So they had not seen him since Baltimore. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there was no communication. There was no indication that he was playing, not playing, nor did they make any effort to find out, you know, what his status was, what he was doing. He did not show up to the Pro Bowl. And I always remember this. They fined him for not showing up to his last Pro Bowl. And then I got right about when he retired, they, the NFL filed a grievance um, to fine him. I'm like, okay, what are we doing? How are you going to collect this if he doesn't play? <laughs> but they actually went through and fined him for not playing in the Pro Bowls last year. So I think in Luck's case, he had been there the whole offseason rehabbing. And I think there's obviously was communication both between you know Andrew and the organization and the agent in the organization. So when Barry finally you know notified us of his decision on his way to Heathrow Airport, and you know we called the Lions and, and, and informed them of that. I think. There was shock, but there wasn't ultimate surprise. Now, right. I would think that the the Colts have had a lot more discussions with the luck and with Andrew and his camp because he's been there. Right. Um, you know, the, the other thing I think the Colts are doing a great job on is that they've working they're working with Andrew in terms of the recapture or the waiving of the recapture signing bonus proration. He did receive six million dollar 
he did receive a six million dollar roster bonus in March. Um, and whether they're going to ask for that back, it was injury guaranteed. But at the same time, you know, when great players leave their franchises, you want them part of the franchise for the rest of their, you know, human life. And so you you, you don't want to alienate them. The Lions came after a very signing bonus, and uh, there was a there was a chilling period there for a number of years um, that has now since been you know, rectified. But for a number of years, it was a Barry was not did not feel like going back to the Lions. Mm. Do you think that the Colts not going after his signing bonus proration and his roster bonus is a sign that they feel that at some point when Andrew Luck gets a few months, years away from the game, he's going to decide that love has been brought back and that fire is burning back inside of him and that he might come out of retirement in 18 months or a couple years? I think that that absolutely has to be the case. Mm. There's no reason not to. You know, they control his rights because they put him on the reserve retired list. Um, you know, he's been an icon. He's been great for the city. He, he does wonderful things in the community. There's no reason to create any animosity. Uh, you know, I think that when you pay a player, and, and I've always had a problem with signing bonus recapturing on, forfeit, uh, on, on retirement because you've earned the money, okay? So why would they be entitled to, to come back after it? You know, people are entitled to retire. But I do think what Joe says is accurate. And that, that it hurts me a lot to actually say that Joe was ever right. <laughs> But he was definitely right. <laughs> Join the club. There's a first for everything. Yep. Yes. Thank God we're not recording this, so so nobody will ever hear I we'll, said that. We'll cut that right yeah. out, Peter. Don't worry yeah, about we'll it. We'll cut it right <laughs> out. I think one thing that's interesting, when I think back to Calvin Johnson's retirement a little bit early, Barry's retirement before his, his day is up, Andrew Luck, the same thing, is those guys have very similar personalities and I feel that they all have this vast amount of interest off the field. And they've always been a little bit uncomfortable identifying solely as a football player. You could clearly see that and hear that in Andrew Luck's voice in that retirement uh, press conference that he had and how he talked about he's got all these other things in life that he really is interested in, including, you know, he just got married. He's got a kid coming. He loves to read. He wants to travel the world. And you could hear that throughout his career when he would do his different press conferences and he would talk about... Um, um, just different things that most than most NFL players would. Uh, you know Barry as well as anybody in NFL history. Would you say that Barry was always a little bit uncomfortable identifying as a football player? Yes, I, I, I would agree with that, Joe. I think that he Barry liked to be known as an uh, you know he, he he didn't have an ego. So first of all, the, the fact that people thought he was famous or incredible because of his physical prowess, I think always bothered him. He he went out of his way. To find other things to do, he's an avid reader, avid traveler. Um, Love to get back to his, you know, his hometown of Wichita. So I do think that when he was 32 years old, he's like, you know, I've got a lot more to give, and I like a lot more to explore in this world. And I think certainly Andrew's always been like that. Uh, you know, incredible intellect. You know, it, you know, you wonder if we haven't been holding him back, because maybe he should be the commissioner in the NFL or or, or run for office because of. You know, the, the great leadership qualities he has. But the other thing, though, Joe, I think that you're going to see more is that players are making more money nowadays. And it's not just going to be the Bucks and the, the Joe Thomases and the Barry Sanders that are going to be retiring because they, they can retire. You're going to see other players with less stature and less accomplishment retiring because you know, they've made $20, $30, 40000000 million. Mm-hmm. There are a lot, you know, when I grew up as the dinosaur that I am, and, you know, games were on black and white. Guys like Johnny Unitas and Joe Namath 
And, you know, John Riggins kept playing because they needed the money. Uh, Joe Montana, Ronnie Lott. You know, they're making $2 million a year. And these were the superstars of our game. And so they had, you know, they, they needed to keep playing just so they can have a, a solid retirement. They could not retire at age 30. Mm. You will see people who have made a lot of money. They're, you know, offensive linemen now that people don't even know the name are making, you know, $10, 11000000 million a year. And, and same thing with defensive linemen. So I think that you're going to see more of players retiring because they can. Yeah. And, you know, I used to always say that about Barry when people ask me, you know, why did Barry retire? I said, well, the, you know, uh, because he could. One player that hasn't made a lot of money yet is Jacoby Brissett, right? And in all of all of this hoopla and all the craziness that this news brings, the other side of the coin is that Jacoby has an incredible opportunity to skyrocket his career. Um, what do you think this means for Jacoby now stepping into the shoes um, and filling that void that Andrew Luck is leaving with the Indianapolis Colts? You know, great, great, you know, great opportunities come from great situations, and, and he's going to be in that situation. And how he handles it, uh, you know, it's going to be a microscope. You know, no different than Andrew came in, come filling in or replacing um, Peyton Manning. Yeah. And, you know, but playing a quarterback in the NFL is incredible pressure, whether you're replacing an icon or not. Uh, he has one tremendous benefit, and that is he's got a great offensive line. And great offensive lines can certainly help a lot of young quarterbacks. Now, you know, sort of the interesting part is that when Luck came in, part of the reason I think he's so beat up and battered is because they didn't have a great offensive line. Mm. And he took a lot of punishment. And perhaps if he'd played behind this offensive line for those years, he might not be in the same situation. But I would say that Brissett has a great opportunity because he has a great offensive line. And there's also another side of the coin, though, is that quarterbacks who are backup quarterbacks and get to play one or two or three games, numbers that played all 17, they, they can do well in two or three games because people don't have a lot of film. Yep. But now all of a sudden you give someone with less than incredible talent a lot of film to watch and they start shutting down um, you know, their tendencies and their strengths. I call mm-hmm. it the Kyle Wharton factor. The mm-hmm. Kyle Wharton factor. You know, he... Every year, start off four and one, five and one. Cause he's always on a different team. Nobody had any film. All of a sudden, you start watching film on him, and they're like, "Oh, this is all he does." Yeah. And so he's going to have to learn. You know, you guys saw a lot of that in Cleveland. To be honest with you. Yeah, no question. Now, Peter, you represent Jacoby from uh, a marketing standpoint, and I'm curious to know if he was as caught off guard by the luck news as everybody else was, or did he get tipped off and? Uh, do you think he's ready for this opportunity? I, I think he's, you know, he's a very mature young athlete. And, you know, John Rickert, with our firm that works with him in, in the marketing, you know, has always raved about uh, his attitude, his level of maturity, and his preparation. I think that, you know, if anybody's, you know, if there's a correlation between hard work and dedication and being humble and success, he'll be fine. The question is what other, other factors are going to be rolled up into that situation to determine it. You know, and in football, it's not just 22 guys, it's 53 guys. And so there's, you know, there's a lot of factors. And, but I, I'd rather be in his position, like I said, than Andrew Luck when he inherited the Colts because they were on the downturn. At least, they, you know, this team's on, on the upswing. Mm. And again, let's, let's, let's not forget that, you know, I think there's also a difference when you replace a, a superstar player in a major media market. There's a yep. lot more... Uh, you know, attention focused, you know, when you, you replace a Joe Namath or, you know, what's going to happen in New York, you see what's happening with Jones right now in New York. 
Um, and he's not even the starter yet. You know, Indianapolis is not a mega market. And I think that's that bodes well for success. Yeah. And that makes sense. I, I was in New England for a cup of coffee. Jacoby was the, the, the three, I believe. And in practice, I would tell everyone, I'm like, yo, Jacoby Brissett is a starting NFL quarterback. Now, I come from Cleveland. Tom Brady would, would miss a throw maybe once every three practices. Garoppolo in practice would miss a throw maybe once every two. And Jacoby would miss a throw maybe once every practice. Like, and that's, those are ridiculous numbers by any stretch of the imagination. We take that in Cleveland. Oh my gosh. Like we, we would miss 15 before we even started our first team period in, in practice. So <laughs> watching that in New England, I was like thrown back by it. So I, I think Jacoby's going to do really great. You talked about big markets. Now that we have an agent on the line and me and Joe can always speculate, but we're both idiots. So a big market is the Dallas Cowboys. And a question we want to ask you is about the Zeke Elliott situation. Do you think they get a contract done with Zeke before the season? And if it was your client, how would you handle this situation? Well, those are two very short questions that are very complex, that require complex answers. First of all, I do believe that the player is going to play. And it's very, very difficult for an athlete in his prime to sit there and watch football and hold out. Um, and it's just a question right now of who blanks and or who is going to be the person with the maturity level or the, the business acumen to say, why are we fighting? Let's find the middle ground. Let's find common ground. You know, the great leaders of our society are not the ones that get you into wars. They're the ones that have keep you out of wars. And so someone's got to find a way to resolve this. And, you know, when there becomes all this rhetoric and, um, you know, chest pumping and all that other stuff, it does make it difficult. But I think that both sides want to get something done. It's just a question of how and how can you find someone who's going to work out the compromise. And then so, you know, that sort of segues in the second one. I think that my history has always been to find ways to, you know, get good resolutions that makes everybody happy you know, whether it's in football or in, in other areas of uh, my practice. And so you, you do have to try to find ways to sit there and say, okay, how can we all live with this? Right? These are our issues. These are our challenges. These are the Cowboys' challenges. You know, they've got a lot of young players. And, you know, you hear Stephen Jones say it all the time, you know, we only have this much cap, so we can't give it to everybody. It's not like the New York Yankees, you know, where they can just, you know, they, they just have this – a uh, spigot full of money flowing, you know, from their cable contract. Even the Cowboys are making a ton of money. They do have uh, the salary cap. So, you know, how do they spend it? And, you know, you have to win games and you're going to need more than a running back. And that being said, I do think it's in, incumbent upon all running back agents to reinvigorate this market. The running backs are important. And I think that's a discussion, you know, maybe you, the three of us should have, you probably are more in tune to that than I am, but, I think if you have a bell cow running back, it makes your whole offense a lot better. When you've got a guy that you're facing an eight-man box and you give him the ball and he still averages over four and a half yards a carry, that's huge. Okay? And because it's huge because you're, you're making first downs, it's also huge because now all of a sudden you're, everybody's in single coverage because you don't have a single man high. You only have so many people to cover. And because of that, though, and there's there's such a – you know, small supply of those types of running backs. Those are the running backs. If you get them, you get you got to pay them. In my opinion, because they do make a difference. And if you look statistically, I said chances of getting a first down when you make four and a half yards or more on first down, it, it does it, it does grow dramatically. I've been out there banging the Twitter sphere saying 
that Zeke Elliott is one of the best, if not the best running back at his position. He's a generational talent. He is the guy that makes, that stirs the drink for the Cowboys offense. And so when you have a guy like that as an agent, you and I went through this when I was negotiating my second deal with the Browns. I think it's really important that those guys break the glass ceiling for the positional salary. And a lot of people are saying, well, the running back position is devalued right now and that the Todd Gurley contract is no good. But you as an agent looking at that contract, if you were representing Zeke, how would you handle that? And would you be willing to accept anything less than a number that's higher than Todd Gurley's? I do believe that Gurley is, is the market. And Gurley, you know, he broke the glass ceiling. And other people have to continue to do that, Joe. And when you look at what Ezekiel did, 4.7 yards, you know, and, and the big analogy is, well, uh, James Conner basically did what um, Le'Veon Bell did for Pittsburgh last year. And so Conner rushed for, you know, almost 1,000 yards, 4.5 yards of carry. So what's the big deal? Well, football is different than, than other statistical sports like baseball. Baseball, you throw a pitch, it's 90 miles an hour, you know who had a home run. 50 home runs is 50 home runs, batting 300 is 300. And when you watch tape, James Conner was not doing it against eight-man boxes. He was doing it against a lot of cover two, two-man high, and they were not playing James Conner the same way you play Le'Veon Bell. Okay? So, yes, he had almost 1,000 yards, but it's a different 1,000 yards. And whether the Cowboys want to take that chance to see what Dak Prescott can do against cover two and dropping seven guys – because they don't have Zeke Elliott, that's a risk that the Cowboys better be right on. Because all these lockouts, and all, I mean, all these holdouts, you know, it's, it's the ultimate in fantasy football, if you really think about it. If the Cowboys come out of the box and don't sign Ezekiel Elliott and go 4-0, and they win. Yeah. <laughs> and they're going to win the negotiations. Okay? That's the ultimate fantasy football. But being played by agents' players. They go 1-3, and three, the, the pendulum of leverage switches right to the player. Same thing with Melvin Gordon, thing, thing, thing with Trent Williams. Any type of holdout, that's what it comes down to. If the team continues to win and succeed without you, the league moves on. If they don't, if they don't oh, you, what, what, what do you think happens to Jerry Jones if they start one and three without Ezekiel Elliott? Yeah. And that's good points, man. I mean, it's crazy what the running back market has has come to. I remember when the Le'Veon Bell situation was going on, it didn't make sense to me. This is a guy who's going to touch the ball 25 times a game between running and passing, and they're saying, like, no, there's there's number two receivers that make as much money as Le'Veon Bell was asking for, and they won't have nearly the impact that he does on a football game. Um, it's funny, I've seen on Twitter, Darren McFadden signed a six-year, $60 million contract as a rookie. So to see where the market has gone for running backs... <laughs> 10 plus years later, it's amazing. Right. And that's part of, you know, part of the problem is this, the rookie wage scale that was put in 2011. Yes. Right. Because that, that took that out and that allows teams to get a cheaper, you know, value. All right. And so, but it is incumbent upon the players to make sure the market is there. Because I'll tell you right now, when you really look at it, you know, if, if I'm right and the Cowboys are unsuccessful um, without Ezekiel, then people will see the point. Yep. If they can find them and get someone to replace them, they go three and one, four and one, then, they, you know, then they will be fine. I don't think that's the case. Right. Right. I think, and the last thing Jerry Jones wants to be is hung in effigy because, 
I don't even know what effigy means. <laughs> that makes two of us, Peter. F you and me, I think that's B- what it before means. Before we let you go, now you obviously represented the, the, the great Joe Thomas, Mr. 10,000 consecutive snaps. What was This it, was a plant yeah, what, question, by the way. What was I it like $10. negotiating for him? Because I remember there was some, I mean, besides the mega deals he always signed, there was like trade rumors at one point, and even in retirement. Like, I wanted to get all that information. Did you try to talk him into playing another year? No. <laughs> no, the one thing about Joe, you're, 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 you're with Joe every day. The one thing, you, you ain't talking him into anything. Right? <laughs> Joe, no, no, Joe is a, is a very cerebral person who looks at every issue from every angle. Uh-huh. He, he really, and he, and, and he gets it from his, his dad, who's just a, a, tremendous, a tremendous analytical thinker. You know, he, he will not, he'll sit there and say, okay, here's the issue, and then he'll look at it from a number of different perspectives, and then he'll come to a very logical, empirical uh, decision. The thing about Joe, though, is he liked to negotiate like I did. Nothing in the press. Everything was quiet. Mm-hmm. I, one of my greatest accomplishments, and I think Joe's too, is that we finished his uh, historic extension on a Sunday night. I snuck out of town. Nobody knew I was there. And we never announced. There was no press conference, nothing. And I remember, and, and Joe, tell me if I'm wrong, but the way people found out is that the tight ends or something marched through the offense line meeting room or something like on a Thursday or Friday. And that's how <laughs> people on the team found out that Joe had done this, you know, this yeah. story contract. So it, I think that's how it was, right, Joe? Something like that. Yes. Yeah, some, someone told the tight end group that I just signed a new deal that made me the highest paid offensive lineman in history. And so they barged in the O-line room and like started clapping and <laughs> uh, bowing like I was the king. And uh, from that point on, it, it kind of snuck out of the building. But that was one of the things that I always respected about Peter. And I liked him as my agent is he was different than a lot of agents who want to see their face on TV. He didn't want his face on TV. And that's why we get him on the podcast. Yeah, so we don't have to put nice. his face anywhere because... Like me, he's got a face that's built for radio. So he likes to slide under the radar just like I do and, and keep things quiet, which uh, made it a really good relationship uh, for 11 years in the NFL. Joe, I like to think I have a face made for podcast. I like to be a little bit more. <laughs> a little more with the times. I was telling Joe that there's a considerable amount of people out there who think Peter is my agent because my agent was a boutique agent by the name of Craig Schaefer. And so every time I would tell somebody, they would just assume that I was talking about Peter Schaefer. So a lot of people just randomly think that Peter Schaefer is also my agent. So it's, it's all good. We got you on the podcast now. Now you're officially the agent of the Tomahawk show. <laughs> no, that's great. It's a tremendous honor. I will tell you though, you know, in, in doing deals like that, the best, you know, the other best part was when the deal got done, how we celebrated um, Hawk was Tom Heckert had a couple beers in his fridge mm. at, at the facility in Berea. We t- opened one up. I think you know had a beer. They, we well, no, we pulled Joe out of like some Sunday out night of meetings. Meeting. Yeah, we, <laughs> yeah. we were in like night meetings in training camp. I think. And uh, one of the scouts came down and pulled me out. And I think everybody in the room thought I was getting cut. Because you know, the only reason a scout comes and gets you in the middle of a meeting is if you're getting cut. Exactly. But clearly, they knew I wasn't getting cut. But they pulled me upstairs. And, and Peter was sitting in there with Tom. And they were having a beer. And he's like, we got to have a beer because we just got the deal done. Jeez. I'm like, absolutely. I'm having a beer right now. And I'm, I'm dragging this on for a little while. Just like, you know, when you get pulled out of class in high school for something. Right. It takes you a little bit longer. Your feet are dragging on the way back into yep. that class class and so you don't make it before the bell rings that's exactly what i was doing the good old excused absence you gotta love it and he, and he got to have a beer and i'm sure it was like knowing tom was probably 
either Miller Lite or Bud Light. It wasn't. It wasn't one of these. <laughs> it was a Miller Lite. It was. <laughs> it was. It was a nod to my Wisconsin roots. It was. It was nothing uh, fancy about it. It was. It was Miller Lite. It was good blue collar beer. Old school. No Coach seventy three elitist crap. They didn't have seventy three Coach back then, or or we would have been drinking that. We would have had a hard time making it to the game the next day though, <laughs> because we would have drank more than one. I love it. I love it. Well, Peter, we appreciate you joining us on the Tomahawk Show, man. Can't thank you enough. Look forward to the next mega million dollar deal you're going to sign for one of your clients, man. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on. You guys do a great job. And, and, and Joe, you can send me a check for saying that later. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Pete. I got to pay everybody to be on the show. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Hawk. Hey, All right. Hey, hey, Hawk, and by the way, I, I, I know great chiropractic, so I know you've been carrying Joe for years on this podcast. And so oh, here we go with the jokes. It. <laughs> exactly. Everybody's got jokes. Exactly. Just, just exactly. cut them off. Where's the producer when you need them? <laughs> Have a good one, Peter. Steve, the great Peter Schaefer joining us here on the podcast. Legendary. Responsible for all the millions of M's that he's made Joe over the years. <laughs> he's tricked the Browns multiple times into thinking that Joe was any good. So that guy is less of an agent, more of a magician, if you ask me. Yeah, no doubt. I, I say <laughs> it's tough when you're in the podcast game, you're not a current player to get guests on the show. But one guy I always know that's going to answer my call always. and he's going to show up when we need him Dude. is that agent that you've written a few million dollar checks to. So uh, that was one that I could definitely follow through on no it was good though i mean he gave us a lot of insight especially in the andrew luck situation like the parallels of him and barry sanders and obviously we've talked about him we've beaten him um to death but i mean it's just so real man and it was a it was just crazy news and it was really the only overlap we had so he couldn't have been a better guest Let's get into our 16 burning questions because 73 is too many. We're going to have John tee us up here. John, what's the first one we got? So the first question comes from IG. B Brian 17 asks, do you think Andrew Luck will ever play football again? Mm, beat it to death. Let's beat no, it some more. Very relevant. <laughs> Perfect. Um, all right, I'll start this one off. I don't think Luck is coming back. I, tr- I truly mm. don't. I think once you've made that decision, I mean, there'll be times, at least from my experiences, you'll feel like you'll want to. But for someone to retire that early... I feel like this is something he's thought about through and through, and, and he is he's good on his decision. The Colts might be holding out hope, but I don't think it's happening. I'm actually taking the other side of this one. I do think we're going to see Andrew Luck mm. playing quarterback again for the Indianapolis Colts. We talked about earlier in the show, there's two parts of a man to be able to get him to go out and play football. One is the physical, one is and two is the mental. And to me, everyone's pointing to the physical and the toll that his body has taken playing in the NFL, especially early on in his career, playing behind a poor old line for the Colts. But I really think that this was a decision that came down to the mental wear and tear and the stress and the anxiety that he's dealt with, especially in the last few years, being a guy who was never fully comfortable embracing that role as the star of the Indianapolis Colts or one of the stars of the NFL. And I think some time away from the game will give him that mental refresh and it will get that fire burning inside of him. I, I think in a couple years. It's not going to be this year. It's not going to probably be the next year. But after that, he's still only going to be 31, 32 years old. He's still a young man. His body's going to be feeling great. He's going to have a lot of time to travel the world, spend time with his kids, maybe do the reading, whatever things that he feels like he wants to fulfill his life with. I think he's going to see that 
NFL football was very fulfilling and it gave him a purpose and a direction that we as football players crave. And I think he's going to really desire that to be back in the locker room to get a little bit of that camaraderie that you have when you're sitting at your locker and you're looking over at Andrew Hawkins' naked ass dancing in the in yeah, the locker room. Normal. He's going to miss that. I'm telling you, he's going to want to get back and I think we'll see him on the field in a couple of years. Agree to disagree. If you don't use it, you lose it. Football season is coming up quick, and DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy football, is celebrating with huge Week 1 contests. It all starts when Chicago and Green Bay kick off the season with a Thursday night single-game showdown contest and $2.5 million in total prizes up for grabs. New users who sign up today on DraftKings using code TOMAHAWK will receive a free shot at a $1 million top prize. Nothing adds to the excitement of watching the game quite like having a shot at a million-dollar payday. Draft your single-game showdown lineup and feel the sweat like never before. It's simple. Just draft six players from the season opener, stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. But you don't have to wait till week one to get in on the action. Right now, all users can get a deposit bonus for up to $500. Download the DraftKings app now to get in on the action. For a limited time, both new and existing users can get a deposit bonus up to $500. And as an extra special week one bonus, new users can put in my code TOMAHAWK to receive a free shot at $1 million with your free deposit. Don't forget, that's code TOMAHAWK for your free shot at $1 million only at DraftKings. Make it rain. Minimum $5 deposit required. Deposit bonus requires a 25 times playthrough. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. What we got next, John? Question number two of our 16 burning questions, because 73 is too many. What's been your biggest takeaway after three weeks of preseason football, guys? Joe, you kick us off on this one. Yeah, I'll kick this one off. And mine is that the NFL has done a really, really poor job of marketing and branding preseason football. And this is what I say why I say that is because in the preseason, you should be cheering for a team, not expecting to see the stars go out and beat down on each other like it's a regular season game. You should be going out and watching the Browns because you like watching football. You like watching guys go out wearing a Browns helmet, giving their all, trying to make a football team. It is not about watching Baker Mayfield throw the ball to Odell Beckham Jr. We go out and we as fans, we'll watch scrimmages. We'll watch practice. We'll watch all sorts of other guys that have nothing to do with what's going to happen on Sundays with the stars. And we get excited about it. But Mm -hmm. as soon as the preseason games and the TV rolls on, we're somehow, for some reason, are expecting to see Baker Mayfield throwing the ball to Odell Beckham Jr. for four quarters. And that's just not the direction the NFL is headed. It's a violent game. It's a game where guys can have a career taken away from them in one snap. We just saw it this week with Lamar Miller in Houston tearing his ACL in preseason. Mm. And I think the trend is going to be for fewer and fewer of those guys that are stars that have their positions locked up playing in the preseason. We're seeing it from the young coaches and the transition is to more and more young coaches. And I think that's the future of the NFL. And so if the NFL wants to continue to play preseason games, which clearly it does because they make a lot of money, uh, with the TV contracts, yep. they make a lot of money with ticket sales, but also with the advent of gambling and the legalized gambling, people still like to bet on these games. And me as a Browns fan, I just want to be able to show up and cheer for my Browns. There's a bunch of guys that are playing really hard. They may not be the same guys that are going to be playing during the regular season, but I think it just needs to be a, an atmosphere where they can maybe lower the ticket price a little bit and just sell it as Browns versus 
Eagles. Yeah. Uh, Browns versus Colts. It's not going to be the stars out there, but it's going to be good football, played hard, played the right way, and guys are going to be giving their all trying to win. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I kind of agree with that in the sense my takeaway of preseason football is that it doesn't matter. No question. Like you're not like it doesn't matter what happens in it. It 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 has no indication of what your your team's season is going to be like. Like for the guys like myself who are fighting for roster spots, fighting for opportunity, yes, it means the world. But to be quite honest, you can probably get a better sense of what a player is like in a joint practice or competitive practice environment. That's why I hated joint practices with other teams because it felt like just extra game. So if we played the Jaguars and we had two joint practices and a preseason game, it was essentially three games that I was playing that week because in practice, you're going just as hard as if a game up a game situation and like for a guy like Baker Mayfield, if he has these joint practices against other teams, like that's more beneficial to him than the actual preseason game. So I don't know what the fix is because like you said, the league makes so much money off of it. People obviously still enjoy going to these events and root on their team. Um, But yeah, to be honest, it's just no indication of what your team success will be like for that season. Yeah. I think the fix is sell the tickets for like 20 bucks, 15, 20 bucks, and sell it separate from the season ticket package. So you're going to give opportunity for fans, a lot of young families, maybe people that can't afford the regular season ticket package, but they're fans of the Browns. Mm-hmm. They're going to show up. They're going to get their opportunity to go to the stadium, to cheer on the orange helmets that they love. And they can really enjoy a fun family experience without expecting to see Baker throw the ball to OBJ. And right. one quick thing that I'm going to say about preseason football, because I'm really bad at English and I don't know that biggest means only one thing. I'm going to say the other takeaway that will piggyback off of what Hawk just said is that the preseason doesn't matter because Daniel Jones right now, people are all saying that are Giants fans that thought it was a good draft pick. Oh, you see, Daniel Jones is playing great in the preseason. He was a great pick. <laughs> and all the people that were haters of Daniel Jones are shoving their heads in the sand like uh, the ostrich saying uh, was it the ostrich I have no idea I have no idea what reference you're going for my research confirms that ostriches do put their head in the sand okay all right it was the ostrich (laughs) that shoved his head in the sand because he didn't want to see what was going on when Daniel Jones had the best quarterback rating in preseason football but I'm going to tell you unfortunately I'm not saying that Daniel Jones is not going to be a great NFL player but I'm going to say that I don't know anything more about Daniel Jones right now than I did when they drafted him because of this in the preseason defenses are ultra vanilla coverages are ultra vanilla you usually play maybe two coverages going into a preseason game and for teams that play a lot of man coverage that's probably all they're going to play teams that are zone coverages maybe you're going to see a couple variations of zone coverages but for a young quarterback it's very easy to identify and throw the ball to the right man and to play in the west coast offense which is what daniel jones is running out there with pat Shermer, it's a very computer program like offense It's very cut and dry about, okay, if there's a single safety in the middle of the field, Mm -hmm. you're going to go one, two, three, and you're going to quickly make your decisions and throw to this guy. And the difficulty of learning to play quarterback in the NFL is reading those defenses, correctly identifying what they're in from a coverage standpoint, and then getting the ball to the right man. And it's really simple in preseason. We had a guy in Cleveland, Brandon Whedon. He went out when Pat Shermer was our head coach, and he would light up the preseason because it was simple. The offense is very well tailored to simple coverages. And if you can throw the ball accurately 
and on time, you're going to tear up the preseason. And so that's why I think we're seeing great success right now from Daniel Jones in the preseason. If he goes in and has to play for Eli for whatever reason in the regular season, he's going to see so many different coverages, so many different defenses, that it's going to be confusing and he's going to have a hard time yeah. making those quick decisions. And I think it's going to be a total different ballgame. I'm not saying he can't do that, but I'm saying that's why we're seeing Daniel Jones with so much success in the preseason right now. He's in a very favorable West Coast offense and he's playing against very vanilla coverages, which goes back to what you said, Hawk. The preseason means nothing. Absolutely. Joe, as a Giants fan, I'm offended that you compared Daniel Jones to Brandon Whedon. I, I could, <laughs> oh, you're welcome. I couldn't let that slide. That's, that hurts my heart to hear that. But I'm also curious your perspective. Last season, the Rams basically decided they're not going to play any starters during the preseason. The Rams won the NFC. They could have won the Super Bowl without playing their starters in the preseason at all. Do you think starters playing the preseason is going to be a thing of the past pretty soon? Yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah, I think the only starters you're going to see are rookies or yep. guys that have not been starters previously. It's essentially going to turn into rookie minicamp. <laughs> you're just going to be watching a bunch of uh, rookies. It's going to be the new NFL Europe. Preseason football is going to be the new NFL Europe. I would say the only time you're going to see regular starters who have started previous seasons in the NFL are on the offensive line. If you have a rookie quarterback or a first time starter at quarterback or a first time starter at running back, because you always want to put your best offensive line in front of those guys to get that. Uh, that coordination, that mm -hmm. timing between those two. Uh, and so other than that, I think preseason football for the most part is going to be all guys that this is going to be their first time starting in the NFL. So the number three burning question I have for you guys comes from Twitter. Mitch Allen at Crazy Eight Toast, great Twitter handle, tweeted at the Tomahawk Show and asked, do you think the focus of the national media will have a net positive or negative on the Browns? Hmm. I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's a, I don't think it could be a, a negative just because there's always been national media. Like we were there when Johnny Manziel came around and there was more cameras that I had seen ever in Cleveland when Johnny was there. Right. And I, I don't think the media had a negative or positive effect. I think what's going to have a positive effect is the fact that we have a very talented roster and we're going to be who we're going to be. Like this is a place that thrives on spotlight. Baker thrives with the cameras rolling. OBJ, Jarvis, these guys love to have the attention because it, it, it holds them to the fire and they want to, they want to deliver. So I don't think it's going to have a negative effect. I think it's just cool to have cameras there along for the wild ride that is going to be the Cleveland Browns. I can't agree any more solidly than I do right now because, Mitch Allen, that was a great question because we get to talk about how amazing the Browns are and how good this national media attention is for the Cleveland Browns. You said it. Baker and Odell, those are two millennial guys. They love being trolls. They love being out there and having the attention on them. Good, bad, or indifferent. That's what motivates them. That's what brings out the competitor in both of those guys. And that's how they get the best motivation from themselves and from their teammates. And so I think... Honestly, all this extra focus and attention on the team is going to be really good for Baker. That's why he drums up this controversy. That's why he goes out and he trolls people uh, in interviews on the field. He does those things because he wants that pressure. He wants that ratcheted up mm -hmm. because he knows that that's how he gets the best out of himself. Question number four of our 16 burning questions. What are your expectations for Kyler Murray this season? Mm, I don't know, man. I think it's going to be a tough season for him. This team isn't that much more talented than it was a year ago. I do think Kyler Murray is a good quarterback, um, but I haven't seen enough from him to to say whether he is the future or he's the generational talent that everyone talks about. I I I think for a guy his stature and size, like there has to be something there, 
right? But this roster just isn't great, man. And um, they have some players here and there, but I don't think it's enough for us to to really see the full potential of Kyler Murray like like we've seen the Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes, yes, he's a rock star, but he's surrounded by a ton of talent. And, you know, Baker Mayfield, rock star, now surrounded by a bunch of talent. It was a talented roster when he got when he got at the helm, and I think that helps young quarterbacks develop faster. I don't know if this roster is talented enough to to see the uh, rock star ride that we've seen from the last couple young quarterbacks before him. Uh, it pains me to say this because I know Cliff Kingsbury's out there listening because he's a big friend of the yeah, show. He's one of the, of the Tom show. Flock, but they're going to have a tough season. They were the worst team in the league last year. That's why they had the first pick. They really didn't add a whole lot of talent in the offseason other than what they did in the draft. Mm-hmm. Kyler Murray, I think he's going to play well for a rookie because typically when you look at rookie quarterbacks that can run and that are athletes, that transitions better from college to the pros than a quarterback like a Daniel Jones who's or a Sam Donald who's a pocket passer because that takes a long time to transition to the NFL game, which is so much more cerebral and difficult to grasp mentally than the college game. And so you're going to have a leg up because of his ability to run, mm-hmm. kind of like Russell Wilson did when he first came into the league. He was able to make a lot of plays with his feet. And so you're going to get that. And so that's going to prevent them from being the worst team in the NFL this year because they will win some games on the back of Kyler Murray's feet, which is kind of a weird thing to say, but <laughs> that's the way it's going to be. I see him as maybe a 4-12, and 12, a 5-11 and 11 team. It's really tough to be a rookie quarterback in the NFL, and it's also really tough to be a rookie head coach in the NFL. And when yeah. you put those two things together and a coach where Cliff is not an NFL-experienced coach, that is a huge mountain to overcome. And unfortunately, it's going to be a really, really tough season for that team. And I, you know what? I, I trust Cliff Kingsbury's. Um, his take on quarterbacks. So I think Kyler Murray will be a superstar quarterback because Cliff Kingsbury came on this podcast, this very podcast you're listening to called The Tomahawk Show, before Patrick Mahomes had ever taken a snap as like the the guy in Kansas City. And he said, Patrick Mahomes will be the highest paid football player ever. And me and Joe were kind of like, oh, really? Like that that seems kind of a a, a a bet out there. And and yeah, lo and behold, this guy comes out with 50 plus touchdowns, 5,000 yards passing. So Kingsbury is a guy who's coached Baker. He's had Johnny. He's had Mahomes. He's had Case Keenum. And he made the, the bold decision to ship Josh Rosen and go with Kyler Murray. I trust the long-term projection of Kyler Murray. I just don't think it happens this year. Next burning question. Question number five, Quinn and Williams everybody's favorite rookie, Quinn Williams, talking about Madden 20, told the press he was going to, quote, play with himself, and then said that sounded weird, which it did. Yes. My question for you guys is, have you guys ever played with yourselves in Madden? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I've been known to play with myself a time or two. I think that's one of the cool things about being a pro athlete. And actually, back when I was in college, I loved to play with myself even more because I was a big <laughs> fan of the NCAA 2005 game. Uh-huh. I think that was the first year that I was starting at Wisconsin. And of course, they didn't have my name on there, but it looked exactly like a big white guy from Wisconsin right. playing left tackle number 72. And it was fun <laughs> to go out and you know play offensive line in uh, NCAA 2005. And coincidentally, I think I made some money off that because yeah. it, I don't know if it was the NCAA or somebody sued that football game for using all of our likeness right. in their game without paying us. And so we got a check maybe five or six years ago for a couple thousand bucks. And it was great. So for all those kids listening out there today, playing with yourself can pay off. Listen, I, I didn't actually get my settlement money. I didn't go through with it. I didn't like 
Just, oh my God. Yeah, That's the ultimate in laziness. I missed, free out money. I missed out on it. All you had to like, do yeah, no, fill out the form. They said it wasn't us when the game was out, but it was also a 5'7", 175-pound black dude wearing my same number and from like the <laughs> next town over in the same state that I was born in. Um, it was, it was from yeah, Jonestown I, I'm not really of Johnstown. Exactly. I, never, I wasn't really a, a big video game guy. Even now, like my son plays all the time and he has to like literally beg me to, to, to play. Um, and he loves to play it with me as as myself on the game. Joe, I got a question for you. Did you ever change in the game, substitute yourself to a different position? Did you ever put uh, yourself in like running I back or receiver? Been, you know, I haven't been a big video game guy, kind of like you, for, for a while. I've, I've had a lot of other interests in life. But back when I used to play with myself, I don't think that game <laughs> was... I don't, think that, you did, I don't think you had that ability in the game back then to be able to take an offensive lineman and just put him at a different position. Even if you did, it would have been an epic failure. <laughs> just a four overall. What was your highest Madden overall? You remember? To be honest, by the time that became a thing where everyone would talk about it, I wasn't really playing video games. And so no I really idea. don't even know. I'm going to guess. Honest. I'm going to guess your highest overall was a 90. Probably a hundred. No, you didn't get a hundred. You didn't get a 99. <laughs> you didn't get it. I'd say you were probably a 97. We're gonna. That's a bet. Okay. I don't know if it's we, true. Or we not. need a researcher. R- researchers on it. I think my highest back, overall was like an numbers. eighty. So, as you can see, I was a pretty big deal to be an eighty. What overall. was your quickness though? I feel like your if your quickness wasn't top in the yeah. game, they were way off. I think I was ninety nine. I was either ninety eight or ninety nine agility. You had to be. I was always. I was always tops there. They saw those videos. Yeah, come on, man. It makes no sense. All right, next question. Right. Next. So for Tom Flock listening out there, let us know what Joe's highest Madden rating yeah, was. If you guys can get out there, Madden players. Because we have no idea. Question number six. This actually comes from our Tomahawk Reddit page. Check out our subreddit, Tomahawk. This question comes from Johnheim. J-O-E-N-H-E-I-M. Johnheim. How would you yeah. guys say that? It's a Joan silent J, I believe. Jo- it's Johnheim? I don't know. Johnheim. Johnheim. We've got fans all over the world. He's from Denmark. <laughs> he asks, what are your takes on Damien Sheehy Giuseppe and his interesting story? Hawk, you want to set up the story? Yeah, man. This is like a, this is a really awesome, cool story and one near and dear to my heart for a lot of reasons. So basically, and I don't want to not do it justice by skimming through it, um, but this is a guy who I think played at Juco, was a Juco All-American returner, you know, really kind of dabbling in the football world. I don't think he got a full scholarship to a four-year university after that, was in living regular life, still working out, still training, hoping for this opportunity. Two or three years later, he basically tricks himself his way into a open Browns tryout, which I didn't even know they had nowadays. Like they didn't have that when I was coming out, but he tricked himself into an over, um, an open trial with the Browns by lying and saying he knew, uh, one of the scouts and they're like, okay, whatever it gets him in. He goes to the tryout. And I think he's like, even like before the tryout, he's, sleeping at outside of a gym in Miami. He like spends all of his money on a flight to this tryout. He's charging his phone at like a laundromat, sleeping at the laundromat, working out at the gym, sleeping at the gym because he had to buy a flight a couple days before, gets to the workout, kills it, runs like a 4-3-8, um, ends up getting a tryout with the Browns like at in Cleveland, ends up getting signed. Really like the, the, the Cinderella story of the offseason. First preseason game, first punt return takes it back like 60 yards to the house man like you you can't write stuff like that so it's crazy to see and watch um just from the the start and like the the desire 
that has gone into to his story and to be where he is, man, because it, it does remind me a lot of myself, like because I was in a very similar situation and had a very similar route. So this is like the real life fourth and long that is not scripted and totally <laughs> phony, kind of like your TV show. This is actually what happened. So it's going to be really interesting to follow to see if maybe he makes the Browns or if he doesn't make the Browns, if another team signs him onto their practice squad. Uh, but it's pretty interesting. And I'm interested to hear from you, Hawk. Are you a little bit nervous that if he makes it to the <laughs> NFL – and makes a career out of it that people will forget about Andrew Hawkins and he'll be the new feel good. Oh, we love this guy story in the NFL. You know what? I, 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 my competitive side should say yes. Um, but in actuality, no, because it is such an awesome story, man. Like, and I've, I've been there. Like I talked about it on the R2C2 podcast. Me and John talked about like having to sleep like nights in a storage unit. Like, which is wild, right? But when you're like that much and you're just clinging to the hope that once you get your opportunity, everybody will see. So for this kid, he's not worried about nothing. Like he doesn't give a damn about any story. He doesn't give a damn if he's a, he just wanted his opportunity and he's hoping that he's taking advantage of it now. And I'm pulling for him every step of the way. It sucks that he's on such a a team with stacked receivers, um, but I'm hoping there's there's a practice squad opportunity there for him if he doesn't make the 53 or that somewhere else gives him the opportunity because he's he's earned it without question. Next. So NFL players have had some great viral moments this offseason featuring them pounding beers. So of our 16 burning preseason questions, number seven is, guys, who would be on your first team all chug? Who are the best beer mm. chuggers you have witnessed in NFL mm. history? I'm going with two. There's only two I care about. Bakhtiari. Because he's a he's the OG originator of the whole thing. Like that's just that was pretty amazing. Yeah, he he, he smashed two back to back like jo- Joey Chestnut did. That, that was really impressive. I, I was giving him mad props, and he did it in Wisconsin, which uh, yeah. made me pretty excited. I you gotta love I feel it. like I, I got a little bit of that osmosis beer chugging Dude. ability from him being right down the road. He kicked it off, and it was just him being himself. Then everyone kind of followed suit. Now it's a thing. My number two person on the first team all beer chug list is Baker Mayfield. Because oh. the way he shotgunned that thing, like at a moment's notice, that wasn't his that wasn't his first rodeo. He was prepared. He has practiced. He is a guy that is uh, very affluent in the beer chugging. Uh, that that is beer chugging, for lack of a better term. So I, I was mm. impressed more of his style than I was his mm. actual chugging. So. Yeah, yeah, Baker did something that I don't think I've ever seen. And going to Wisconsin, being the number one party school, three out of the four years mm. that I was there, I never Black saw leaves. anybody open a beer to shotgun it with their teeth. Yeah. Uh, so that was really amazing. But I'm going to go with Tom Brady. I don't know if you saw, but that man can still chug a beer, even <laughs> though he doesn't even eat strawberries. Certainly he hasn't drank a beer since college. He was on, I think, Jimmy Leno Kimmel. or one of these late night shows. Leno's probably, you know, it probably wasn't Leno because it was not on anymore. 2006? <laughs> yeah, this is back when I was in uh, grade school. On the Johnny Carson show. uh, (laughs) He was on the Johnny Carson show chugging a beer, and it was pretty impressive. So one of my good friends at Cleveland, Aaron Shea, was Tom Brady's roommate when they were together at Michigan. Aaron was an All-American tight end. He ended up playing for the Browns and played like seven or eight years in the NFL. But he's a big beer drinker. He can chug a beer, but he always said that Brady was the best beer chugger he knew in college. Oh, wow. And he knows a lot of good beer chuggers, so I give him a lot of credit. Now, like we said, Tom's changed a bit since college, but I still think he can chug a beer when he has to. Yeah, avocado beer. 
He's drinking avocado beer. It has to be avocado, yep. but he would love to chug a beer. I, I would challenge you to a chug contest, Joe. I bet you I can chug a can of Mountain Dew faster than you can chug a beer. That's a great question. Uh, I would love to try All it, right. and I don't think you could because I can chug a beer pretty quick. I think I can get down with you, buddy. I think I can. Okay, buddy. All right, but what we got next, John? So this will be the last one for today. We'll do question number eight, and then we'll save nine through 16 for next week. This question comes from Tomaflock, our official Tomahawk Facebook group. Be sure to interact with the Facebook group, Tomaflock. Ashley Woes wants to know, what player did you never play with but always wanted to? Mm, can I give two? Yeah, I can. It's my, it's my podcast, right? All right. <laughs> so I'm going to go with Russell Wilson. Always wanted to play with Russell Ooh. Wilson. Mm. I don't know. I, I, I was just always a big fan of his game. Um, I always liked quarterbacks who didn't care about who they were throwing to. They just threw it to who they thought was open. <laughs> and that, that seems like pretty obvious in the league, but it's not. Um, and then also Travis Kelsey. He's just a fun dude, mm. man. I, I enjoy his mm. presence and I think he's hilarious and I love to watch him play and I love to watch him celebrate. So I always thought he'd be a really cool teammate. I always wanted to play with Peyton Manning. I always thought he would be really fun because his studentness of the game was impressive and I would love to learn everything that was going on in his brain uh-huh. and why he made certain decisions. Uh, plus he was really funny. He's a guy that would always keep meetings, I imagine, pretty light. And he would push everybody to the limit, but he'd always have fun doing it. Uh, and then another guy that I didn't even play during my generation, but I would have loved to play with Barry Sanders mm. to block for the most creative, exciting running back in the history of football would have just been unbelievable because you know where the play is supposed to go. You know where you're blocking your guy, but five or six seconds after the ball snapped, the <laughs> ball could come squirting out the backside and you had no clue it was going that direction. So I think playing with Barry would have just resulted in so many OMG moments. Yeah. Can you believe what he just did? Do you think blocking for Barry would have made your job easier or harder? I think it would have made it harder. It's kind of like blocking for a guy like a Russell Wilson, a guy that's creative at quarterback that you don't know where he's going to be. Like Peyton and Tom Brady, you know exactly where they're going to be. They're (laughs) going to be six yards behind the center. They're going to stand there for two and a half seconds, and they're going to throw the football. Like a guy like Russell, you got to just keep blocking until your guy starts running down the field because you don't know where that quarterback is squirting out to, and your job is never going to be done. Even though the play says it's supposed to be a quick throw, the quarterback's supposed to be five yards deep, he could be anywhere. Right. Joe, you mentioned you want to play with Peyton Manning. Members of the Tomaflock will remember a certain Denver quarterback, maybe Peyton, asking you to go number two in your GM's office. Mm -hmm. You had the chance, man. You could have cashed (laughs) in then. (laughs) The problem was I was uh, a little bit constipated that day. I didn't have my Miralax at hand, (laughs) so I couldn't fully execute the Peyton Manning strategy. And so I got to retire as a Cleveland Brown because of that. Yeah, we we completely whiffed on the opportunity to ask Peter about that specific instance when you (laughs) <laughs> We're seconds away from being traded to the eventual Ooh, next time. Super Bowl if only chance. I still had his number. Oh, man. Shucks. All right. So I think that does it for this episode of the Tomahawk Show. We appreciate you guys joining us. Listen, make sure you tune in for the next uh, preseason episode where we'll continue our 16 burning questions because 73 is too many. Um, this is our like our preseason game. This is our second preseason game. We're getting our rhythm. Um, the preseason is important for us, just not important for actual NFL players. Make sure you're following us on social at Tomahawk Show on Instagram, Twitter, Reddit. Um, check out our Facebook group, our email Tomahawk Show at Gmail and hit our voicemail 440-628-1376. Joe, any final thoughts? Yeah, final thoughts. As I'm diving into the NFL world and I'm consuming football on a more ready basis, 
I see our man Bob Menery is the new voice of BW3s. And every time that commercial that he's on there comes on, I just laugh to myself. And I remember when he came on from my retirement episode of the Tomahawk Show. And he goes, Joe Thomas, who the hell is that guy? I don't even know who the fuck you are. But hey, I guess I'm recording a voicemail. And I thank him for that. Yes, let's Joe Hawk yourself. We're going to hold on. Before you give the Joe Hawk yourself, make sure we play the Bob Minnery voicemail now. Hey there, buddy. It's uh, Bob Mallory here, broadcasting extraordinaire, I guess, if that's what they call me. Not even really quite sure who the hell you are. I, I just drank my third 12-pack, and I saw this number posted on the bathroom stall at Waffle House. Anyways, look, quick Google search later showed me you're hanging up the old football cleats and coming into my world. Well... My friend, I am a made man in this game, and you're just some Joe Schmo sugar tits, so you're going to have to bring your egg. Oh, my God, Peter, no, that is not a brownie. Look, 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 I, I got to go. Congratulations on the retirement, okay? Peter and I are very, very proud of you. Peter, put down the brownie. Put it down. We made Bob Menery a huge star because after he came on the Tomahawk Show, he is now the voice and let's say the face of BW3s. We did. He's a, he's a member of the Tomahawk. Mo money, mo problems. Take us out, Joe. Joe Hawk yourself. <laughs>